Hey, Drunk Mythology friends. I'm Kate. And I'm the other Jen. And I'm Kim. And we're the... Drunk Dracula Drunk Dracula Gals. Drunk Dracula Gals. I wanted to bring that one home under the wire first. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, then. I I just like had a hard feeling... Yeah, yes. I had a feeling Kim was going to do something different. And I was like, let's wait and see. Pause for just a millisecond. And sure enough, she did. So, and you all just played to my insecurity. So that's why I squeaked. Yeah. Yeah. And that's my excuse. And I'm sticking with it. So, this mm-hmm. is <laughs> chapter 11, not bankruptcy, of Bram Stoker's Dracula, <laughs> celebrating I'm- the month of drunk Dracula gals, also called October. Also called Drunktober. Yeah. And if this is for your. Those first- who celebrate. Yeah. If this is your first time joining us for Drunk Dracula Gals, stop. Go back to chapter one. Start there so you know what the hell is going on. Not that we do. <laughs> right. Well, okay. If you're not going to do it, fine. Don't sue us if you're confused. I'm not even going to go over the public domain stuff again. If you need to know about that, you can go back to chapter one or all the way through chapter 10. Uh, yeah, we're, we're yeah. good. <laughs> And and frankly, at this point, anybody out there, you want to sponsor us? Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bring it. All us. <laughs> All right. Well, here we go. Back to England. Yay. I have feelings about this recap of chapter 10. Oh, I can imagine sure, you do. I do too. Yeah, we all do. Yeah, because here we go. Have we all recovered from the world's worst blood transfusion and the fact that Lucy only survived because apparently she's either AB negative or everyone is the same exact blood type? By the way, October is a great month to donate blood plasma platelets because there's always a need. PSA over. Back to the rage. At this point, it's absolutely certain that Van Helsing lives her breaking Dr. Seward's balls and humiliating him in front of Lucy and Arthur. I'm conflicted about this because Seward totally has it coming, but Van Helsing is really just a sadistic dis dick with a narcissistic streak a mile wide he's also a quack who is totally into aromatherapy and can you blame lucy for being like what the fuck dude you gave me a bouquet but it's garlic i mean we've all had that unfortunate moment when you've been cutting garlic and a little while later you get a whiff of your hand right and it's not like victorian england smelled great to start with so this is just adding insult to injury but whatever garlic therapy for the win anyway carry on (laughs) oh this is gonna be a fun chapter today all right You've been warned. (laughs) Yes, you've been warned. (laughs) Very little practice going into this. Okay. Lucy Westenra's Diary, 12 September. How good they all are to me. I quite love that Dr. Van Helsing. I wonder why he was so anxious about these flowers. He positively frightened me. He was so fierce. And And yet, he must have been right. For I Feel comfort from them already. Somehow, I do not dread being alone tonight, and I can go to sleep without fear. I shall not mind any flapping outside the window. Wait, she's just been hearing flapping and hasn't told anybody? Uh, okay. Oh, the terrible struggle that I have had against sleep so often of late. 
The pain of the sleeplessness or the pain of the fear of sleep with such unknown horrors as it has been for me. How blessed are some people whose lives have no fears, no dreads, to whom sleep is a blessing that comes nightly and brings nothing but sweet dreams. Well, here I am tonight hoping for sleep and lying like Ophelia in the play with virgin crants and maiden strumments. Uh, question something. (laughs) (laughs) We're not touching that one, are we? I'll Google it later. Okay. I never liked garlic before, but tonight it is delightful. There is peace in its smell. I feel sleep coming already. Good night, everybody. Why did she say everybody to her diary, right? (laughs) Like, is she thinking of publishing this? You know what? She probably is. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Dr. Seward's Diary. 13 September. Called at the Berkeley and found Van Helsing, as usual, up to time. The carriage ordered from the hotel was waiting. The professor took his bag, which he always brings with him. Let me all be put down exactly. Van Helsing arrived at Hillingham around eight o'clock. It was a lovely morning. The bright sunshine and all the fresh feelings of early morning of early autumn seemed like the completion of nature's annual work. The leaves were turning to all kinds of beautiful colors, but had not yet begun to drop from the trees. When we entered, we met Mrs. Westinger coming out of the morning room. She's always an early riser and apparently is still alive. She greeted <laughs> us warmly and said, All right, I'm going to try not to copy Lucy here, Lucy's accent. Oh, the pressure. You will be glad to know that Lucy is better. No, it still sounds like Lucy. The dear child is still asleep. I looked into her room and saw her, but did not go in, lest I should disturb her. The professor smiled and looked quite jubilant. He rubbed his hands together and said, Aha! I thought with... I had diagnosed the case. My treatment is whacking. <laughs> to which she answered, You must not take all the credit to yourself, doctor. Lucy's state this morning is due in part to me. Uh, how do you mean, mum? Asked the professor. Well, I was anxious about the dear child in the night and went into her room. She was sleeping soundly, so soundly that even my coming did not wake her. But the room was awfully stuffy. There were a lot of those horrible, strong-smelling flowers about everywhere, and she had actually a bunch of them around her neck. I feared that the heavy odor would be too much for the dear child in her weak state. So I took them all away and opened a bit of the window to let in a little fresh air. You will be pleased with her, I am sure. I'm sure. When when the professor's done swearing, we'll continue. (laughs) She moved off into her boudoir where she usually breakfasted early. As soon as she had spoken, I watched the professor's face and saw it turn ashen gray. He had been able to retain his self-command whilst the poor lady was present, for he knew her state and how a mischievous shock would be. He actually smiled on her as he held open for the door for her to pass into the room. But the instant she had disappeared, he pulled me suddenly and forcibly into the dining room and closed the door. Then, for the first time in my life, I saw Van Helsing break down. 
He raised his hands over his head in a sort of mute despair that beat his palms together in a helpless way. Finally, he sat down on a chair and putting his hands before his face, began to sob with loud, dry sobs that seemed to come from the very racking of his heart. Then he raised his arms again as though appealing to the whole universe. God, 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 he said. What have we done? What has this poor thing done that we are so so beset? Oh, is there fate still amongst? Is there fate amongst us still sent down from the pagan world of old that such things must be and in such way? This poor mother, all annoying and all for the best as she think, does such thing as lose her daughter body and soul. We must not tell her. We must not even warn her, or she die. And then both and then die. Both. Damn. <laughs> oh, how we are beset. How we, uh, uh, oh, how, how are all the powers of the devils against us? I, I'm Suddenly so he jumped his to his behalf. feet, right? <laughs> come. Suddenly he jumps to his feet. Come, he said. Come. come, we must see and act. Devils or no devils, all the devils at once, it matters not. We fight him all the same. He went to the hall door for his bag, and together we went up to Lucy's room. Now, they have not seen Lucy yet, so I'm hoping right. not just overreacting. Right? <laughs> Once again, yeah. I drew up the blind while Van Helsing went towards the bed. This time he did not start as, as he looked on the poor face with the same awful waxy pallor as before. He wore a look of stern sadness and infinite pity. As I expected, he murmured with that hissing inspiration of his, <laughs> which meant so much that we are now calling the Dion. <laughs> without a word he went and locked the door and then began to set on on the little table the instruments for yet another operation of transfusion of blood i had long ago recognized the necessity and begun to take off my coat but he stopped me with a warning hand no he said today you must operate i shall well, provide <laughs> you are weakened already he just As wants he spoke, his turn yeah right well, Right. As he spoke, he took off his coat and rolled up his shirt sleeve. Again, the operation. Again, the narcotic. Again, some return of color to the ashy cheek and the regular breathing of heavy, heavy, of healthy sleep. This time I watched while Van Helsing recruited himself and rested. Presently, he took an opportunity of telling Mrs. Westenra that she must not remove anything from <laughs> Lucy's room without consulting him. Whatever. The flowers were of medicinal value and that the breathing of their odor was part of the system of cure. Then he took over the care of the case himself, saying he would watch this night and the next and would send me word when to come. After another hour, Lucy waked from her sleep, fresh and bright and seemingly not much, much the worse for her terrible old ordeal. What does it all mean? I'm beginning to wonder <laughs> if my long habit of life among the insane is beginning to tell upon my own brain. Why are they not looking at her neck? They hinted at it. Why are they, they just even, letting it go? <laughs> they even know about gangrene. Right? <laughs> mm. Delicious gangrene. What we have going on from Van Helsing suggests that he knows what's going on. Yeah. Ah, but, but I still... shall not tell you. Right? But they still don't check her neck. Oy, oy, oy. Okay. Fine. Lucy Westenra's Diary, 17 September. 
four days and nights of peace. I am getting so strong again that I hardly know myself. It is as if I had passed through some long nightmare and had just awakened to see the beautiful sunshine and feel the fresh air of the morning around me. I have a dim half-remembrance of long, anxious times of waiting and fearing, darkness in which there was not even the pain of hope to make present distress more poignant, and then long spells of oblivion and the rising back to life as a diver coming up through a great press of water. Since, however, Dr. Van Helsing has been with me, all this bad dreaming seems to have passed away. The noises that used to frighten me out of my wits, the flapping against the windows, the distant voices which seemed so close to me, the harsh sounds that came from I know not where and commanded me to do I know not what, have all ceased. I go to bed now without any fear of sleep. I do not even try to keep awake. I have grown quite fond of the garlic, and a box full arrives for me every day from Harlem. Tonight, Dr. Van Helsing is going away, as he has to be for a day in Amsterdam. But I need not be watched. I am well enough to be left alone. (laughs) Famous last words. Thank God for mother's sake and dear Arthur's and for all our friends who have been so kind. I shall not even feel the change for last night. Dr. Van Helsing slept in his chair a lot of the time. (laughs) I found him asleep twice when I awoke. But I did not fear to go to sleep again, although the boughs or bats or something napped almost angrily against the window panes. The Paul Mulgis. I just wanted to point out with the dates real quick that as this is all going on, we're like 10 days away from when Lucy is supposed to marry Arthur. Because in oh. her letter to Mina, she said 28 September. Oh, that's right. That's right. It's 18th of September in this article. Yeah. This, uh, so, you know, this, like, this, okay. she's supposed to be planning a wedding. <laughs> right? But she's sleeping with garlic. And for my bouquet, I shall have garlic. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> the Palm Mall Gazette, 18 September. The Escaped Wolf, Perilous Adventure of Our Interviewer. Interview with the Keeper in the Zoological Gardens. After many inquiries and almost as many refusals and perpetually using the words palm wall gazette, sort of <laughs> talisman, I managed to find the keeper of the section of the zoological gardens in which the wolf department is included. Thomas Builder lives in one of the cottages in the enclosure behind the elephant house, and he was just sitting down to his tea when I found him. Thomas and his wife are hospitable folk, elderly and without children, and if the specimen I enjoyed of their hospitality be of the average kind, their lives must be pretty comfortable. The keeper would not enter on what he called business until the supper was over, and we were all satisfied. Then, when the table was cleared and he had lit his pipe, he said, Good luck, Jen. Now, sir, you can go on and ask me what you want. You'll excuse me refusing to talk of professional subjects afore meals. I gives the wolves and the jackals and the hyenas in all our section their tea afore I begins to ask them questions. How do you 
that's kind of funny. I'm just, this like is, literally is kind of funny. How do you is, mean ask them questions? I query, wishing to get them into a talkative humor. Eating them over the head with a pole is one way. Scratching of their hairs is another. When gents as these flush wants a bit of a snow up. Show off to their gals. I don't so much mind the fuss, uh, eating with a pole before I chunks in their dinner, but I waits till they've had their sherry and coffee, so to speak, before I tries on with the ear scratching, mind you. He added philosophically, There's a deal of the same nature in us as in them there animals. Here's you a coming and asking of me questions about my business, and I that grumpy like that only for your blooming arf quid I'd a seen you blows fuss for I'd answer. I have no clue what the hell is this. Pay for the interview. <laughs> Not even when you asked me sarcastic like if I'd like you to ask the superintendent if you might ask me questions. Basically, he's like calling bullshit on asking somebody else to ask him questions. Anyway, without offense, did I tell you to go to hell? You did. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> and when you said you'd report me for oozing of obscene language, that was hitting me over the head. But the arfed quid made that all right. I weren't a going to fight, so I waited for the food and did with my old as the wolves and lions and tigers does but lord love your art now that the old woman has struck a chunk of her tea cake in me and rinsed me out with her blooming old teapot and i've lit up you may scratch <laughs> my ears for all you're worth and won't get even a growl out of me Drive along with your questions i know what you're coming at that our escaped wolf Exactly. I wanted you to give me your view of it. Just tell me how it happened. And when I know uh, I've got the facts, I'll get you to say what you consider was the cause of it and how you think the whole affair will end. All right, Governor. This here is about the old story. Their ear wolf, what we call Berserker, was one of three gray ones that came from Norway to John Rocks, which we bought off him four years ago. He was a nice, well-behaved wolf that never gave no trouble to talk of. I'm more surprised that I'm for wanting to get out nor any other animal in the place. But there, you can't trust wolves no more women. Oh, don't you mind him, sir? <sighs> Broke in Mrs. Tom with a cheery laugh. <laughs> He's got minding the animal so long that blessed if he ain't like an old wolf himself. But there ain't no arm in him. You see, that's the accent I wish I could do, but I can't do that one. <laughs> I can't do it for very long. Like, that's the limit. <laughs> well, sir, it was about two hours after feeding yesterday when I first hear my disturbance. I was making up a litter in the monkey house for a young puma, which is ill. But when I heard the yelping and owling, I came straight away. But there was Bazooka tearing like a mild thing at the bars as if he wanted to get out. There wasn't much people about that day, and close at hand was only one man, a tall, thin chap with a hook nose and a pointed beard with a few white hairs running through it. He had a hard, gold look and red eyes, and I took a sort of mislike to him, for it seemed as if it was him that was irritated at. He had white kid gloves on his hands, and he pointed out the animals to me and says, Keeper. 
These wolves seem upset at something. Maybe it's you, says I. <laughs> I did not like the airs as he gave himself. He didn't get angry as I hoped he would, but he smiled a kind of insolent smile with a mouthful of white, sharp teeth. Oh, no, they wouldn't like me, he says. Oh, yes, they would, says I, mean, uh, imitating of him. They always likes a bone or two to clean their teeth on about tea time, which you as a bag full. Well, it was an odd thing, but when the animals see us a-talking, they lay down, and when I went over to Berserker, he let me stroke his ears, same as ever. That there man came over and blessed, but if but if he didn't put his hand and stroke the old wolf's ears too. Take care, says I. Berserker is quick. Never mind, he says. I'm used to him. Are you in the business yourself? I says, taking my taking off my hat for a man what trades in wolves and cetera. And Sarah is a good friend to keepers. No, he says. Not exactly in the business, but I have made pets of several. And with that, he lifts his hat as polite as a lord and walks away. Old Berserker kept looking after him till he was out of sight, and then went and lay down in a corner and wouldn't come out the whole evening. Well, last night, so soon as the moon was up, the wolves here all began howling. There won't nothing for them to howl at. There won't no one near, except someone that was evidently a-calling a dog somewheres out back of the gardens in the park road. Once or twice I went out to see that all was right, and it was, and then the howling stopped. Just before twelve o'clock I just looked around for turning in, and bust me, but when I came opposite <laughs> to old Berserker's cage, I see the rails broken and twisted about, and the cage empty. And that's all I know for certain. Did anyone else see anything? One of our gardeners <laughs> was a one of our gardeners was a coming home about that time from the armory when he sees a big gray dog coming out through the garden edges. At least so he says, but I don't give much for it myself. Or if he did, he never said a word about it to his missus when he got home. And it was only after the escape of the wolf was made known. And we had been up all night hunting of the park for Berserker that he remembered seeing anything. My own belief was that the armory had got into his head. Now, Mr. Builder, can you account in any way for the escape of the wolf? Well, sir, he said with a suspicious sort of modesty, I think I can, but I don't know as how you'd be satisfied with the theory. Certainly I shall, if a man like you, who knows the animals from experience, can't hazard a good guess at any rate. Who's even to try? Well then, sir, I accounts for it this way. It seems to me that that air wolf escaped simply because he wanted to get out. From the hearty way that both Thomas and his wife laughed at the joke, I could see that it had done service before, <laughs> and that the whole explanation was simply an elaborate sell. I couldn't cope in badinage with the worthy Sir Thomas. I couldn't cope in badinage with the worthy Thomas, but I thought I knew a surer way to his heart, so I said, 
Now, Mr. Builder, we'll consider that first half sovereign worked off, and this brother of his is waiting to be claimed when you told me what you think will happen. Right ye are, sir, he said briskly. You'll excuse me, I know, for a chafing of you, but the old woman here winked at me, which was as much as telling me to go on. Well, I I never, said the old lady. My opinion is this, that air wolf is a idling of somewheres. The gardener what didn't remember said he was a galloping northward faster than a horse could go. But I don't believe him, for you see, sir, wolves don't gallop no more than dogs does. They not being built that way. Wolves is fine things in a storybook, and I just say when they gets in packs and does be chivying something that's more afeard than they is, they can make a devil of a noise and chop it up, whatever it is. I have no clue what this guy is saying. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I felt. Right? (laughs) But Lord bless you, in real life, a wolf is only a low creature, not half so clever or bold as a good dog, and not half a quarter so much fighting him. This one ain't been used to fighting or even to providing for himself, and more like he's somewhere around the park, idling and shivering and a... if he thinks at all, wondering where he is to get his breakfast from. Or maybe he's got down some area and is in a coal cellar. My eye wants some cook get a rum stop when she sees his green eyes are shining at her out of the dark. If he can't get food, he's bound to look for it, and mayhap he may chance to light on a butcher's shop in time. If he doesn't, and some nurse may goes a-walking off with a soldier leaving of the infantry in the perambulator, well, then I shouldn't be surprised if the census is warm, baby, less. That's all. Are you sure? I don't know. <laughs> I have no clue what the hell I just read. The words were on fire and screaming. I I was handing him the half-sovereign when something came bobbing up against the window, and Mr. Builder's face doubled its natural length with surprise. God bless me, he said. If there ain't old Berserker come back by himself. He went to the door and opened it, a most unnecessary proceeding, it seemed to me. Come on in. I have always thought that a wild animal never looked so well as when some obstacle of pronounced durability is between us. A personal (laughs) experience has intensified rather than diminished this idea. This guy is not a complete moron who's writing this article. Right. After all, there, however, there's nothing like custom for neither Builder nor his wife thought any more of the wolf than I should of dog. The animal itself was peaceful and well-behaved as that father of all picture wolves, Red Riding's quantum friend, while moving... (laughs) Well, Riding Hood's quantum friend while moving her confidence in masquerade. The whole scene was an unutterable mix of comedy and pathos. The wicked wolf that for half a day had paralyzed London and set all the children in town shivering in their shoes was there in sort of a penitent mood and was receiving and petted like some sort of vulpine prodigal son. Old Builder examined him all over with the most tender solicitude, and when he had finished with his penitent, said... There, I knew the poor old chap would get into some kind of trouble. Didn't I say it all along? Here's his head all cut and full of broken glass. Aw. He's been a-getting over mm-hmm. some blooming wall or other. It's a shame that people are allowed to top their walls with broken bottles. This here's what comes of it. Come along, berserker. Poor Victorian baby. London, are you okay? Broken are bottles? You- <laughs> on top of the walls? I- 
up that people do that. So people can't climb over your wall. Yeah. It's kind Broken of like. Models. It's pretty common. That, I get that. Yeah. Sure. Uh, okay. He took the wolf and locked him up in a cage with a piece of meat that satisfied, in quantity at any rate, the elementary conditions of the fatted calf and went off to report. I came off, too, to report the only <laughs> exclusive information that is given today regarding the strange escapade at the zoo. Never I'll mind. I'm expecting my call from the Pulitzer Committee shortly. Yeah, never mind. No one can understand what the hell was said. <laughs> Not even this was edited for clarity. <laughs> Dr. Seward's Diary. 17 September. I was engaged after dinner in my study, posting up my books, which, through press of other work and the many visits to Lucy, had fallen sadly into arrear. Suddenly, the door was burst open, and in rushed my patient, with his face distorted with passion. Mm. I was thunderstruck. <laughs> I was thunderstruck, for such a thing as a patient getting out of his own accord into the super superintendent's study is almost unknown. With an instant's pause, he made straight at me. He had a dinner knife in his hand, and as I saw he was dangerous, I tried to keep the table between us. He was too quick and too strong for me, however, for before I could get my balance, he had struck at me and cut my left wrist rather severely. Before he could strike again, however, I got my right, and he was sprawling on his back and on the floor. My wrist bled, bled freely and quite a little pool trickled onto the carpet. I saw that my friend was not intent on further effort and occupied myself binding up my wrist, keeping a wary eye on the prostrate figure all the time. When the attendants rushed in and we turned a detention to him, his employment positively sickened me. He was lying on his belly on the floor, licking up like a dog the blood which had fallen from my wounded wrist. I think it speak for all of us when I say, ew. <laughs> he was easily secured and, to my surprise, went with the attendants quite placidly, simply repeating over and over again, The blood is life! The blood is life! I cannot afford to lose blood just at the present. I've lost too much of late for my physical good. And then the prolonged strain of Lucy's illness and its horrible phases is telling on me. I'm overexcited and weary, and I need rest, rest, rest. Happily, Van Helsing has not summoned me, so I need not forego my sleep. Tonight... I could not well do without it. Telegram, Van Helsing, Antwerp, to Seward, Carfax, sent to Carfax, Sussex, as no county given, delivered late by 22 hours. Oops. <laughs> we need those <sighs> details? <laughs> yeah, the, the, well, whatever's, whatever's in this letter was delivered oh, 22 yeah, hours. Oh, yeah, it's backdated. 17 yeah. September. Oh, okay. But apparently there's more than one Carfax. Hello. Do not fail to be at Hillingham tonight, if not... Watching all the time, frequently visit and see that the flowers are placed. Very important. Do not fail. She will be with you as soon as possible after arrival. Dr. Seward's Diary. Diary. 18 September. Just off a train to London. The arrival of Van Helsing's telegram filled me with dismay. Oh, a whole no. night lost. Yeah. And I know by bitter experience what may happen in a night. <laughs> Tell me, brother. Wow. Of course, it's possible <laughs> that all may be well. But what may have happened? Surely there's some horrible doom hanging over us that every possible accident should thwart us in all ways we try to do. I shall take the cylinder with me and then I can complete my entry on Sir Lucy's phonograph. Memorandum left by Lucy Westenra. 17 September. Night. I write this and leave it to be seen so that no one may by any chance get into trouble through me. This is an exact record of what took place tonight. I feel I am dying of weakness and have barely strength to write, but it must be done if I die in the doing. 
Yeah, sure. I went to bed as usual, taking care that the flowers were placed as Dr. Van Helsing directed and soon fell asleep. I was wakened by that flapping at the window, which had begun after that sleepwalking on the cliff at Whitby when Mina saved me and which now I know so well. I was not afraid, but I did wish that Dr. Seward was in the next room, as Dr. Van Helsing said he would be, so that I might have called him. I tried to go to sleep, but could not. Then there came to me the old fear of sleep, and I determined to keep awake. Perversely, sleep would try to come then when I did not want it, so as I feared to be alone. I opened my door and called out, Is there anybody there? There was no answer. I was afraid to wake Mother, and so closed my door again. Then outside in the shrubbery, I heard a sort of howl like a dog's, but more fierce and deeper. I went to the window and looked out, but could not see anything except a big bat, which had evidently been buffeting its wings against the window. So I went back to bed again, but determined not to go to sleep. Presently, the door opened and Mother looked in. Seeing by my moving that I was not asleep, came in and sat by me. She said to me even more sweetly and softly than her wont, I was uneasy about you, darling, and came in to see that you were all right. There's a slight difference there. Yeah. She's dying, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, whatever. And their mother-daughter, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I feared she might catch cold sitting there and asked her to come in and sleep with me. So she came into bed and lay down beside me. She did not take off her dressing gown for... She said she would only stay a while and then go back to her own bed. As she lay there in my arms and I in hers, the flapping and buffeting came to the window again. Yeah, I heard the static again. All right. Okay, so... You can hear us. We're getting like big time static. Yeah, it's like shh. It it's really really loud. Yeah, which is why I had to mute it because it was. Um. Yeah, try going out and back in, and check. You know the typical IT questions. Make sure your cables are snug. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. Up, there you no are. No static. No static. That was just bizarre. At a- oh, yeah, that works. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. It was it I I've been noticing like a little bit of weird reverb here and there on this recording, so hopefully the production will like um even it out, but um Yeah, Kim, can you just on your end, do you see if your mic icon is active? Okay. All right. Because it looks like it's muted out on mine, but I can... St- ah, there it is. 
Now I see it. Okay. Sorry about that. Okay. Uh, Where do you want me to pick up? Do you want me to start back? I feared she might catch cold. Yeah. That's going to require a little cutting and pasting. That's easy. I can do that. Okay. Alrighty. Um, okay. So, all right. So I'm just going to start here back at, mm-hmm. I feared she might. Okay. Three, two, I feared she might catch cold sitting there and asked her to come in and sleep with me. So she came into bed and lay down beside me. She did not take off her dressing gown, for she said she would only stay a while and then go back to her own bed. As she lay there in my arms and I in hers, the flapping and buffeting came to the window again. She was startled and a little frightened and called out, What is that? I tried to pacify her and at last succeeded, and she lay quiet. But I could hear her poor dear heart still beating terribly. After a while, there was the low howl again out in the shrubbery, and shortly after, there was a crash at the window, and a lot of broken glass was hurled on the floor. The window blind blew back with the wind that rushed in, and in the aperture of the broken panes, there was the head of a great gaunt gray wolf. Mother cried out in a fright and struggled up into a sitting posture and clutched wildly at anything that would help her. Amongst other things, she clutched the wreath of flowers that Dr. Van Helsing insisted on my wearing round my neck and tore it away from me. For a second or two, she (laughs) sat up, pointing at the wolf, and there was a strange and horrible gurgling in her throat. Then she fell over, as if struck with lightning, and her head hit my forehead and made me dizzy for a moment or two. The room and all round seemed to spin round. I kept my eyes fixed on the window, but the wolf drew his head back and a whole myriad of little specks seemed to come blowing in through the broken window (laughs) and wheeling and circling round like the pillar of dust that travelers describe when there is a simoon in the desert. I tried to stir, but there was some spell upon me, and dear mother's poor body, which seemed to grow cold already, for her dear heart had ceased to beat, weighed me down, and I remembered no more for a while. (laughs) (laughs) The time did not seem long, but very, very awful, till I recovered consciousness again. If she's unconscious, how long does she know how long time's gone by? Somewhere, it's a long time or short time. It's a long time or short time. Somewhere near, a passing bell was tolling. The dogs all around the neighborhood were howling. And in our shrubbery, seemingly just outside, a nightingale was singing. Tweet, I was, tweet. I was dazed and stupid with pain and terror and weakness, but the sound of the nightingale seemed like the voice of my dead mother come back to comfort me. (laughs) Oh, my God. 
The sounds seemed to have wakened the maids, too, for I could hear their bare feet pattering outside my door. I called to them and they came in, and when they saw what had happened and what it was that lay over me on the bed, they screamed out. The wind rushed in through the broken window and the door slammed too. They lifted off the body of my dear mother and laid her covered up with a sheet on the bed after I got up. They were all so frightened and nervous that I directed them to go to the dining room and have each a glass of wine. The door okay. flew open. The door flew open for an instant and closed again. The maids <laughs> shrieked and then went in a body to the dining room, and I laid what flowers I had on my dear mother's breast. When they were there, I remembered what Dr. Van Helsing had told me, but I didn't like to remove them, and besides, I would have some of the servants to sit up with me now. I was surprised that the maids did not come back. I called them but got no answer, so I went to the dining room to look for them. My heart sank when I saw what had happened. They all four lay helpless on the floor, breathing heavily. The decanter of sherry was on the table half full, but there was a queer, acrid smell about it. I was suspicious and examined the decanter. It smelled of laudanum, and looking on the sideboard, I found that the bottle which Mother's doctor uses for her, oh, did use, was empty. What am I to do? <laughs> what am I to do? I am back in the room with Mother. I cannot leave her, and I am alone save for the sleeping servants whom someone has drugged. Alone with the dead, I dare not go out, for I can hear the low howl of the wolf through the broken window. Aren't there but other servants in the house? Just asking for a friend? I just, maybe not. The air seems full of specks floating and circling in the drought from the window, and the lights burn blue and dim. What am I to do? God, shield me from harm this night. I shall hide this paper in my breast where they shall find it when they come to lay me out. My dear mother gone, it is time that I go too. Goodbye, dear Arthur, if I should not survive this night. God keep you, dear, and God help me. Wow, yeah. This is legit traumatic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. you know there's always a silver lining to every cloud <laughs> oh yeah all right yeah this is yeah this is quite a cliffhanger what can you tell us kate 
Well, tomorrow we see a character we don't give a shit about dies, Mina gloats, Renfield chokes, and we find out Van Helsing is really, really into blood play. Oh, and Lucy goes full metal Shakespeare. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. This yeah. is going to be good. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, okay. That's right. For the month of October, we have the Drunk Dracula Gals tier for $1. You get all these Dracula episodes sooner. And you also get access to all our other Lit Crit Hour episodes. I know I keep mentioning the Russian wolf. We, we read some old Russian fairy tales over there. And the Russian wolf is just an, a favorite character. And it's, it's great. It makes <laughs> everything better. <laughs> we need some Russian wolf in this story. Right? Right? <laughs> so do. That's right. <laughs> yes, but I am Dead Sea Captain. So thanks again for joining us. Please subscribe, leave a rating or review, and tell your friends and family about us, especially if they're like, Oi, look, it's Bazaka. He's come back. Well, good boy, Bazaka. <laughs> 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 Finally, always remember if the undead can behave badly, then so can you. Bye.